HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week on Meet and 3, we're spotlighting the people, dishes, and ingredients decolonizing food. We're looking at our Thanksgiving plates and beyond to explore efforts to reclaim food sovereignty in Native American culture, the African diaspora, and Puerto Rico. I believe that oyster dressing is like the consummate side dish for an amazing fried turkey. What we're doing there is just working the land and we're laughing and we're creating a space for joy. And it's in that that healing occurs for us. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Agave Road Trip is brought to you by FlaskFineWines.com. FlaskFineWines.com is like a time machine. How? Stick around after this episode to find out how you can travel through time with Flask. But for now, strap yourself in to travel through rural Mexico on an agave road trip. This is Lou Bank. This is Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that seeks to educate gringo bartenders about agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And Chava, today, I want to help them better understand, those gringo bartenders, I want to help them better understand that once you've distilled something, it's not as simple as what comes out of the still goes right into the bottle. Well, like while you're distilling it, what you choose, right? Which are the pieces of that paper that is coming out from the original fermented juice? How do you choose them? How much of that do you choose? Which is the good stuff? What is the bad <laughs> stuff? Uh, well, but that's my point. I think I think most people have this picture that it comes out of the still and it goes in a bottle and it's just that simple. And, you know, every step along the way, there are all these little minute details. And I think in this particular stage, there are some very interesting details to discover, right? Like when we when we were in uh, Santa Maria Ixcatlan with uh, with Amando and Amandito, <laughs> um, right? One of the things that we discovered was that okay, they throw out a little bit at the beginning of the distillation, the heads, and then a little bit at the end, the tails. But 
everything else goes in the bottle. And that's remarkable, right? Yes. And one will say, I mean, one of the explanations that I've heard about why that alcohol doesn't kill you, because one will say it has too many methanols and it will be undrinkable, right? Mm -hmm. But then just the same process of distillation being in a clay pot, it makes it a little bit inefficient, but somehow balances for those methanols to actually not be in the final drink and not making it toxic. So let's just say like something that will be understood as an inefficiency actually saves the spirits that they're drinking. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm guessing that's going to just miss most, most people, but it brings us to the point that I think is important, which is there are, there are pieces of the distillation that can be dangerous to consume, and then there are pieces that are delicious and safe. And not only that, yes, there's the dangerous stuff, but there's also the untasty stuff, which if you, even if your spirit is very safe, if it's not tasty, then why do it, right? <laughs> right. So I think there's two, there's two elements there. You have to be like good enough to choose the safe stuff, but also <laughs> the tasty stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, so we have this beautiful, super long quote from, from Eduardo Anales, Lalo, um, from Santa Catarina Minas, the, uh, the, the fellow who uh, is brought into the USA in these bottles uh, under the label La Lucura Mezcal. Um, let's, get the, let's get the quote from Lalo. Before we distill, it is very important to first taste the agave after it has been cooked. We eat it to know how sweet it is and guess how much mezcal would it yield. When we are distilling to make the cuts, we have to be tasting all the time. You place your finger right under the condenser sprout, where mezcal is trickling, and you start guessing. We use the clay pot system, and each pot usually has the same size, holding between 60 to 80 liters. With that amount of low wines, first we separate between half a liter and a liter of something we call the puntas which has more than 65% alcohol. After that, we place a large container to collect something we call cuerpo, which can maybe be 10 liters if it is a tepestad that has a low yield, or if it is an espadín, up to 40 or 50 liters of body, which in average has 49% alcohol. And finally, there is something fainter. It has a different flavor and it has less alcohol, somewhere between 8 or 9%. We call those colas, which we separate from the cuerpo, but which we can slowly incorporate to it if they're sweet and have the right flavors. Overall, we collect about 3 liters of colas at the end. And all of this is based on the pearls, or perlas. All the time we're making sure that the cuerpo maintains the proper amount of them. Thank you very much, Lalo. To be honest, I had always struggled a lot. Well, I, I, I specialized in distillation for a long time. So I, I actually work at Sombra designing the kilns, and I think that's an area of expertise that I have really under my belt. But something that amazes me without end is the fact that these guys have their own very personal recipes when it comes down to distillation. And a lot of their personalities and, and their communities, it's actually expressed in something that everybody will say is as simple as choosing which part of the spirit are you keeping and which part are you taking away. And it comes down to tasting. 
Right. He says, right. I put my fingers in there. I smell the spirit. I taste it. If it's good, it goes in. If it doesn't, goes out. Well, but you know, I also, yes, all of that. And, you know, I know, um, I know a number of mescaleros who do not drink alcohol, right? Like they stopped drinking mm. alcohol 20 years ago and it, they still make these choices you know, not as you were saying uh, to me off camera, so to speak, uh, not, <laughs> not through computers and measurements, like they're doing it in other ways. So they'll feel it to make sure it has the texture, the oiliness that they want. They'll smell it to make sure the aromas are what they want them to be. And they, they know that that's going to express the palate that they want to express, Right. Well, these are the superpowers that come with having done something for 20 years, 50 years, 40 years and plus. I still remember like when I was starting to distill, uh, one of the guys that I was working with that had a lot more experience than myself, we walked into the Palenque and he started freaking out and just said like, there's something that it's not wrong. I think that batch is not going to work. And it's like, we haven't even smelled this. We haven't even he was like, can you listen? I was like, <laughs> <Right>. what? <laughs> and it was like, no, 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 it's just listen to that. Like it's been in the steel for this long and just the sound that is coming out, it's not proper. You, when you say the sound, you mean literally the sound of the droplets coming out? Not, not necessarily. No, he was referring more to the fire. Oh, no kidding. He was referring that, that at that time and moment, the fire should be, have a different sound. I don't, right. like, I, I can't, recall specifically if it should have been higher or lower, but he was just like, that's not the sound the fire should have huh. at this time and moment of the distillation. And then it comes down to also to touching the distill itself. Like there's so many things you're looking for, just like cues, little cues that tell you if the spirit's going to be good or not. God, you know, and, and all of this actually brings me back around, and I, I hate to sound like a broken record, um, uh, but it brings me back around to the idea of certifying, right? And my, my, this is another point of frustration. You have so much anger inside your heart. Oh, it's, you know, it's honestly, it's, it's not anger as much as frustration. Um, you know, some, some communities, some, in some communities and with some mescaleros, they actually prefer the flavor when they've added water, Right. Um, but that's not always the case. And it's frustrating to me that you've got this, this beautiful heritage and this expression of, uh, a single person's palate, um, that gets interfered with by this process that says you need to meet these measurements in order for you to certify this and call it mezcal. And so there have been a number of mezcal producers who were forced to add water to their spirits in order to call it mezcal, but in doing so, they've actually taken away the heritage of what they do and how they do it, which is to me sort of the opposite of the purpose of a, of a DO, of a certification process. I mean, a lot of the part of the discussion we're having with Lalo is that one of his biggest frustrations is that a lot of the very interesting recipes of agave spirits making were lost when he, like beginning when he was born. He says that a lot of these flavors, a lot of these techniques were just forgotten because the market or the certifications or I don't know, like a number of elements got in the way. So, when you, but when you say the when you say the market, right? Like I, I don't I don't think that we have any right to tell any community that they cannot participate in the global economy, right? If that's what they want to do, 
you know, God bless them. But I, I, I'm, I am most endeared toward the communities where they've, they've taken the hard road and they've stuck to the traditions. Um, and I'm, I'm just wholeheartedly impressed with the fact that they did that a and B with their refusal to look at this worldwide economy and say, yeah, I, I want this better life. It's not, they don't see it as a better life. But you know something that I that I was thinking about the other day is like they are so disconnected from most of their consumers. Most of them, even some of the ones that do the most amazing spirits, you haven't even gone to their places. You've tried their stuff. You tried to. We yeah. tried to. That's why we <laughs> sure, wrote sure, it. Sure. But most of them have not listened people losing their minds about their heritage spirit spirits. Right. So I think it's very hard for them to know you know, the feelings that they they create on us when we find their good stuff. And I think they start having existential doubts too. Like, is what I, am I doing? God, I don't know. I almost think the opposite of that, right? Like I work with this uh, this author, Champion Mojo storyteller, Joe R. Lansdale. And Joe writes in so many different genres. Um, and what he says is every time he's writing, he's writing for one person and that person is himself. Mm. And I, I kind of get the same feeling from a lot of these traditional um, heritage mescaleros that they are making these spirits for themselves, for their tastes. And if if more people want to appreciate it, great. But really, at the 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 bottom line for them is, do I like it? And and when you find somebody whose palate reflects your palate, and you like it as much as they like it, that to me is what gets me to go on these these 120 hour trips through rural Mexico to find the people who make those spirits. Amen. Well, Lou, I think we have reached the end of this episode, but there's so <laughs> much about cuts and distillation that we still need to talk about. So road trippers, we might come back to this theme. Wait for it later on. Hasta pronto. Adios. Hang on, road trippers, we're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chat Fest coming up. Hey, Chava, did we ever, in uh, in one of our chat fests, we ever talk about my 2017 trip to Tuscany? No, Lou, I don't think we do have. In fact, I think you told me that you only ever fly to see family within the USA or Mexico. Well, you know, that's that's basically correct. If I go to Europe, for instance, like I feel like I'm cheating on Mexico. <laughs> yeah. But my oldest best friend, Bruce, he and his wife, Carol, invited Connie and me to join them in Tuscany, you know, in Italy, uh, several years ago. And they had this rental house with just like a bunch of bedrooms. So they invited a few couples to join them. Fancy. Sounds like a really good deal. It was. It was a very good deal. And we had great fun, but I had to turn it into a mission because that's what I do, Chava. And I went looking for heritage-made grappas and amaros and drove Connie nuts in the process. Ah, poor woman. But I guess she knew what she was buying into when she met you and decided to marry you? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> close enough. Uh, so, um, you know, she loves wine and she knows I'm biased against wine because, you know, people treat it like it's so special and they should treat agave spirits like they're more special. Yeah, because otherwise you get all crazy and... Yeah. Well, okay. So, but they, but I figured, okay, 
poor Grappa and Amaro, they're right there in Italy being ignored because of the wine. Well, okay, I get it. But did you get Heritage Grappa or Heritage Amaro? I don't know. Most oh. of what I found, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Most of what I found didn't strike me as exceptional. A few bottles like blew me away. But what I discovered was that I love some Tuscan red wines. What? You said you didn't like wines. Like now you're cheating on the Gavis Spirits with wine loot? What the hell? No, no, I don't like it. I'm angry at it. But when no one is looking, I'll sneak a Tuscan red, especially anything from Montepulciano. Such great pronunciation, Lou. I'm so proud of you, Lou. I think you're starting to grow like a person. If you say so. I, but I don't want anyone in Chicago to know that. So, so flaskfinewines.com has been super helpful. They ship bottles of Tuscan Reds to me from the warehouse in Los Angeles. No one in Chicago is any the wiser. And it's like they're transporting me back to that wonderful trip to Tuscany. Wow. But Lou, wait a second. Now that you've said that on the podcast, won't people in Chicago know that you're drinking red wine? You think anyone is actually listening to this podcast? I think a few, but fair enough. <laughs> okay, well, if anyone is listening, if you wanted to be transported back to Tuscany or to anywhere else, basically, check out flaskfinewines.com for a selection of 750 milliliter memories of your favorite travels. Flaskfinewines.com offers nationwide shipping of fine wines and spirits. And, and Chava, they're a sponsor of Agave Road Trip. Thank you so much, flaskfinewines.com. <laughs> and, and that's, that's a wrap. wrap. <laughs> okay. This is Chava and Lou's Chat Fest. Gonna chat you up. Chava, what are we talking about in this Chat Fest? Your Boy Scout times. Or camping. Or I don't know how you call it, Lou. <laughs> well, well, you don't have to be a Boy Scout to camp. So, okay, right. So so the last episode, you talked about your experience camping in the Mexican equivalent of, um, of the Boy Scouts. Right? Sort of, yeah, like, like the Catholic military. The squadron. The squadron. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my camping experience, but I, I think that's very different to yours. Yeah. So, you know, I, okay, so in, I think it was like 2004, I, I went on this bicycle trip. There's this organized bicycle trip. Um, in Iowa every year called Ragbri. It's a week long and 20,000 people go on this trip and you literally, you ride about, I don't know, like 75 to a hundred miles a day and you move towns. Cause you've all, you like, you, you're crossing the state and it was so great, but it was frustrating to me to be among 20,000 people doing it, right? Because the joy of crossing a state by bicycle to me has nothing to do with being pampered. And this was kind of pampered, relatively. I mean, you're still, you're, you're, you're camping in a tent every night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somebody is driving the tent and then dropping it off for you in a spot. So I convinced uh, I convinced my brother Brian Petcash, God bless my brother Brian Petcash, to do this with me the next year, um, where we just did it ourselves, and we thought let's do let's do like a 350 mile loop in Idaho, and I mapped everything out. You know, this is this is like 2005 2006, but I mapped everything out using um, Google Maps to figure out the right route. And, um, and figure out, okay, so I was doing 50, 70, I'm sorry, 75 to hundred miles a day. So if I just figure we do like 50 to 75 miles a day, we'll be good. And we carried our tents and we carried our sleeping bags and everything on our bicycles. So like 
a lot of weight on our bicycles, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've seen those guys, but I've always thought they're mad. Like, more in the Mexican highways, but I guess American highways are a little bit more safe or better looking. Well, you know, the theory is you don't really do it on highways, that you do it on back roads. And, oh, okay. and there are trails and stuff, right? But, you know, you're, you're not wrong in this case. So what we did was th- these weren't like – we have – we ended up – we continued doing this for years and years and did it – like we'd find ourselves on interstates next to 18-wheeler trucks going by, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. crazy. Th- yeah, that's what, that's what I see in Mexico when I go like, that's not – yeah, cool. Like, a, yeah, I know. How can that be enjoyable? But but the very first time we did it, we didn't know what to expect. And I like while I mapped it all out, I didn't look at a topographical map, right? That shows you <laughs> how high you're yeah, going, yeah, yeah. not just how far, <laughs> but how high. And it turns out Idaho. Not not sure if you're familiar with the uh, the state of Idaho here in the USA, but they have mountains. Okay. No, I, I I have no idea. But I guess it's like Oaxaca, that is like 200 kilometers in distance from the city to the beach. But right. it turns out you have to go up yeah. and down. Yeah. And that's like seven hours in a car. Yeah, exactly that. And so that first night I had projected we were going to go 75 miles. Uh, but we only got 40 miles out of uh, out of Boise to this little town called Banks. Now, the problem with this is it is, it is now – it's been – I, like a 12 hour day. We're on the bicycle and we'd stop and we'd take breaks and we'd eat and stuff, but it was a 12 hour day and night was falling and we had only gone 40 miles and we had to go the other 35 miles to get to the nearest hotel. So we ended up having to, like, we thought we were going to hit hotels, but we had to use the very first night had to use the tent. And, and so we set up the tent and we had grabbed this, this canister, not of pepper spray, but of pepper fog in case animals attacked us. Um, so we, we set up our tent along this little, uh, riverside in Banks, Idaho, Banks, no relation, uh, you know, but in, in Banks, Idaho. And, um, and then a bunch of teenagers did the same thing right next to us and they were loud and they were drinking and they scared the hell out of us. And, <laughs> and so in the middle of the night, and I, I, I intentionally, I had the, um, the pepper can, the pepper fog can hanging next to like a knife in the center of the tent <laughs> in case there was any trouble, we could grab it. In the middle of the night, I'm awakened by Brian saying something, screaming like, they're coming, they're coming, and grabbing for it. Um, and thank God he didn't actually press the fog in the tent. It turns out they were just like going to pee at the at the river. Like we, like we were so nervous. And the next day we woke up, the next morning we woke up like 5 a.m. And it was this beautiful sunrise. And we were along the stream. And whereas I thought everything had gone to hell, like it turned out it was just perfect. It was the perfect night. Lovely. And I'm so like confused. You're usually more social than that, Lou. Like, why didn't you go ask for some beers? Oh, because they were teenage kids. Teenagers scare oh. the hell out of me. Teenagers <laughs> drinking. That's, that's, a, that, they're breaking the law. I like, I don't, I don't want any part of that. You start, <laughs> oh, oh, no, that just scared the hell out of me. Okay, no, I get it. I get it. And I'd like that you're a responsible citizen that abides by the law and I should celebrate that. So round of applause to Mr. Lou. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, Chava, let's wrap it for this one and I'll catch you on the next one. Adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. 
Sound Engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at gabberroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. A Gabby Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. A Gabby Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.